This is Shaco Art Speak. Welcome to Shaco Art Speak. Hey, everybody. Hello. Good morning. Who do we have here today? You want to introduce some Gareth? Well, let's see. So we've, got, podcast. We've, got, we've got Ryan, we've got Cody, we've got me. Yeah. So fourth voice has to be somebody else. All right. So we got Carrie Kite with us this morning. Whoa. He has been on the podcast yeah. before. Go and um, listen to it. This morning, uh, as I was getting ready, I was trying to say like, okay, let me think of the best way to introduce the fact that Carrie is a deep breath, director, producer, writer, podcast host, an all around great guy. And a busy dancer. <laughs> Totally kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I do. My daughter and I dance uh, yeah. pretty much every day. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Well, there you go. There you go. Busy dancer. So, yeah. Um, so, you know, just as like a quick recap of, of who you are for folks who don't remember back to, you know, I don't know, two years Episode ago. Seven. Yeah. <laughs> Episode 10 or something. I yeah. So, um, uh, we'll get into what we're talking about today, but just fill us in a little bit about yourself. Maybe some of the stuff that's been going on since uh, we talked to you a couple years ago. Yeah, for sure. Like a total egomaniac. I went back and listened to that episode again uh, a couple months ago, actually, because Andrea, my wife, was mm -hmm. on the podcast. And so <clears throat> I listened to that one and you referenced that one a couple of times on, yeah. on hers. And so let's go. Let me go back and listen and kind of see see the progress that's been made. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I I got my start in indie film. <clears throat> I went to film school, not ad school. Mm -hmm. um, uh, served in the military before that. Um, got out and, and tried to transition into the into the industry and tried to figure out the best way to get in as a filmmaker. Wanted to be a writer, director, you know, yeah. like any good film student. Wanted to be the next Quentin Tarantino, mm -hmm. Nolan. Wanted to of make course. indie films and then work my way up to, to AAA blockbusters, but still make indie films and, you know, kind of like traverse that um, that landscape that way. Um, and then along the way, I fell into advertising mm. uh, through an opportunity um, that uh, offered me more compensation than waiting tables and tending bar, which is mm. what I was doing at the time. Those are always nice the, little opportunities. Yeah. And so I was able to learn, um, what a day rate was. I was able to learn that my time costs money, um, mm -hmm. and should cost money. And so I was able to move from LA to New York, still waited tables, still tended bar as I freelanced, made my way into the industry and got more and more advertising jobs, built a portfolio, and then actually really fell in love with brand storytelling, really mm -hmm. fell in love with commercial storytelling, still do independent film on the side, that was kind of always the goal. Um, but that's kind of more, more from a passion standpoint, more from a fun standpoint. And, uh, so I've spent the last four or five years working in advertising, starting in branded content on the publishing side of things, then moving into a very small agency where I was producing NASCAR's, uh, mm -hmm. campaigns for two and a half, three and a half years built, uh, Ironically, now with everything going on, built Anheuser-Busch's internal digital studio. Mm -hmm. uh, I was producer one there, worked on Bud Light, worked on Michelob Ultra, Landshark Lager, some others. Did uh, their first Super Bowl commercial for Natty Light. Mm -hmm. uh, for yeah. those listening who went to college. Yep. <laughs> <Natty> <laughs> <Light>. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then uh, freelanced for a bit, came down here, did some work with you, mm -hmm. recorded that podcast. And then my daughter was born and I took a permalance job, mm -hmm. what we call it in the industry, permanent freelancer with uh, a slightly larger advertising agency that I'm with now called Circus Maximus and um, started as a post-producer, post-producing a campaign for a beard care brand for Gillette mm -hmm. that launched at the beginning of the pandemic. And the line was an at-home beard care brand, which was the perfect brand. To I was very, say, I was very like, fortunate. every man grew a beard in yep. that. Every man grew a beard. Every man needed to know um, how to barber themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and so 
obviously because the pandemic was was uh, kind of in full swing at that time, I just stayed on and stayed on and stayed on. And then we had some other brands that the agency was working with and I kind of compounded some, some more work uh, there with some of the other brands. And then ultimately the COO now was the director of operations and director of production. And he was like, hey man, I really don't want to do production anymore. I just want to do advertising. Would you want to take over that aspect of my job? And so that was kind of at the end of the first year of the pandemic, we started to put a succession plan in place. And uh, at the beginning of 2021, I took a full-time role with them as the executive producer and head of production, where I run all integrated advertising production for the agency. Mm. And so we work with a, a range of brands across a bunch of different verticals, Better For You Food, Health Tech, Personal Care, a little bit of alcohol and spirits. Um, and uh, we call it b 2 b to c Mm-hmm. So we do uh, we do cool, cool B two B work. Um, so yeah, that's nice. Quick, quick recap. So so film industry uh, aspirations moved into advertising, but you're still kind of making films. I mean, when I look at the stuff you do, it still feels sort of the same way. And so you've got your you got your hands in a lot of different things. And I think one of the reasons that uh, your your view on the topic we've been covering, which is AI. Um, is interesting is one because I mean I know you personally so I know that you're you're interested in a number of things and you are you're a voracious uh, reader and explorer of things so you always have uh, ideas about things that are well thought out so there's always there's always that aspect that makes a good conversation but the other side of it is because you have all these different sort of experiences and background. Um, it's easy for you not to kind of like be the company man like you know thumping on the same sort of message of like this is what it is. You can see it from an outside perspective and you can be very balanced about it. So where we are really in things is we're moving into a space with our series where we're going to be talking to some folks about what it looks like for AI within specific industries. Because we've talked largely about it and we've shared a lot of the the concerns and issues that are definitely not uh, specific to us. These are these mm-hmm. are concerns and issues that are seen all across the board. Um, so some of the things that uh, we want to get to is we can really get to the more specifics of it. Um, but um, having been somebody who's listened to the series so far, when when we uh, really talk about AI, I think a good thing to start with is kind of like where you land on some things, like where mm-hmm. where your thoughts are on a number of aspects of AI and its uses in creative spaces. Open-ended or are you asking yeah. specific? Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, so, I mean, the biggest application that I've seen in the industry right now is through copy, is through mm-hmm. script writing, through copywriting, um, whether that's, you know, long form, you know, manifestos to get started right, with a brand to find out, you know, who they are, what they believe in, what they're communicating, right? Like mm-hmm. those, those are the, we start there when it comes, when it comes to the advertising that we do, we, we kind of blend brand marketing with performance marketing and we call it brand formance. Mm-hmm. And so we don't ever want to let go of, of, of who and what the brand is, how they communicate, why they communicate, who they're communicating to. And then that always, that strategy, that content brand strategy combination always informs the work that we make. And so there's a step for those that don't know advertising. There's, there's basically three steps to the process. There's the strategy phase, there's the creative phase, and then there's the production phase. So strategy is broken into two parts, brand strategy and content strategy. So brand strategy being who is your brand, that's your, your, your brand ID, that's your brand house, that's your, your brand's core values, your company's core values. And then the content strategy is an outgrowth from that foundation, mm-hmm. right? So how do we take, how does our content remain consistent with our brand ID, with our brand values, with our community values, um, and then you get into the creative and the creative would be concepting 
whether that's television commercials, online videos, social media posts, paid social, organic social. Organic social and paid social have different goals, Mm -hmm. right? Organic social tends to be a little bit more brand storytelling. Paid social is a little bit more performance marketing where it's Mm -hmm. driving, you know, if you think about it like a funnel, the top of the funnel is brand awareness, the bottom of the funnel is buying the widget. Mm -hmm. So content strategy falls between the top of the funnel and drives towards the bottom of the funnel. Funnel, excuse me. And then creative, you you concept all of that content and then production is making that content, right? So whether it's shooting a commercial, editing a commercial, finishing a commercial and putting it out there, or whether it's illustrating something or applying production graphic design rather than just creative kind of conceptual graphic design. So in a nutshell, that's kind of the, the life cycle of work mm-hmm. within uh, a, a creative advertising agency. So for us, uh, AI, ChatGPT is something that people are using to write different aspects of, of the brand ID, the brand strategy, and the content strategy. So whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, the manifesto is, is the, the, the main creative and strategic foundation from which all of the content that gets created and then produced is built from. Yeah. And so um, there are just, there are people out there that are using ChatGPT to just write a script. Um, and then that's the script for mm-hmm. the commercial. And then you kind of break it out from there. Uh, you know, f- for us, it's also something that you can use to advertise your own services, right? Like if you say, hey, we just ran this campaign for X brand, Chat, chat GPT, write an email to all of my subscribers telling them what I just did. Mm. And then throw some design, throw whatever you need to do on your on the email and send it out. Um, and it just very, very quickly distills everything that you've done out to your potential customers. Yeah, so when when you're describing the the whole sort of process, uh, the creative process of this, like one thing that, um, as a person who you know cares about creativity, one thing that stands out is it sounds like there's a lot of uh, necessary human involvement. Um, uh, were, were there aspects of that entire process that were just mechanistic and offloaded onto some sort of computer program prior to AI in the same sort of ways? No, definitely not. And especially not for the way that, that we do the work. We do the work in a very community driven way. So we understand that we are selling things to people mm-hmm. and the people that we're selling things to belong to a community. And for us, we are always trying to keep it as human as possible to make sure that the humans on the other end of, of the, of the kind of economic cycle there, um, feel like they're being spoken to mm-hmm. give you a great example for King C Gillette, that's the Gillette brand that we launched. The beard care brand was for men with ethnic hair. So mm-hmm. black men, Latino men who have different hair and different skin types than the kind of wet shaving that Gillette is known for, right? Mm-hmm. That like put shaving cream on your face, on your stubble every morning, shave it off, put a suit on and go to work. Now, um, there are, there are, you know, different, um, different standards for what you can wear to work, where you're working, you know, all of that stuff. Right. And, and so, um, everybody has different ways that they need to be served and, and to use a product. And so for us, it was like, wow, this is a very human thing that we're doing. We want to make sure that we're casting the right kind of person that we're speaking authentically and truly to what it's like to trim a beard. If you're a black man or if you're a Latino man, or shave stubble or whatever it might be. So the whole process was incredibly human because we know that we're speaking to humans on the other end that 
in this case with Gillette, actually had never been spoken to. Mm-hmm. That that consumer set, they 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 can't use a wet shaving tool. Mm-hmm. So we had to build a toolkit for them to use and communicate it to them. And if we had a computer do that, I don't know how that would have gone. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Yeah, I think that's uh that's one of the things is it, it seems like there's a lot of uh we're in like uh uncharted waters, so to speak, in terms of how much license we're giving over to something that there is, uh, let's just, let's just have a a good deal of, um, openness to this and say like, uh, that is not controlled by anything. All right. Uh, heavy hair quotes, air quotes on that. So, um, heavy hair quotes, heavy (laughs) heavy hair quotes. Um, so the, uh, I think, you know, with that, one of the, one of the places my mind goes is then, um, you know, I don't know if there are industries that are really in the creative space, really talking about the ramifications of what it looks like to interject, um, or not to even interject, but to abandon certain spaces for some algorithm to take over and kind of do its thing because it's shaping in all of its aspects. So if somebody's just popping out a script and you're saying, oh, it gives us something crappy just to bang against and see what we can do, it's still establishing a starting point for you. So it's still like, in that, and in that sense, a uh, starting point within a creative process isn't something you leave behind. Like, it stays with it. It is integral. It is integrated into the entire thing forever. So you're always banging against something. So if you bang against a really bad creative prompt, it's a bad product. Like, it's very hard to wrestle it away from that. Well, when you're, when you're working in integrated advertising, you are working for, even before, before you as the, as the strategist and the creative and the production team, even before you have a foundation, the foundation that you're laying your work on top of is a creative brief from your client, mm-hmm. right? So this will be an, a, an associate brand manager or a brand manager who should understand their human com- consumer set enough to know what their RTBs are, their reasons to buy. Mm-hmm. Like they should know what their brand's core values are why their brand's core values are what they are, why they're the community that they're selling to exists, why that community needs their product, what that community expects, what works for that community. So if you don't get a good brief from your client, you're then not able to lay the foundation that you're talking about. So yeah, yeah. that's actually the foundation that comes from another human on the other side of, of the, um, uh, of the arena, I guess. Someone who's already done the research to say this is the customer that we're trying to get to. This is the customer. This is the product that we think matches up with that customer. And now we need experts to create an advertising campaign that can bridge that gap. Exactly right. So, do you have you heard rumors of people on like the interior of the company that's looking for advertising using Chat GPT or those tools to come up with those or? Do you see it more from the advertising agency interjecting the large language models or the chat GPT tools into their process that you just described? That's a good question. I would guess that there are people on the client side doing that, but I have not, I have not heard of that yet. No, not with any of the clients that we're working with. And then in all the kind of industry trade um, publications that I, that I read and pay attention to, it's all on the agency, on the production, on the creative side, not, not really on the brand side yet, at least. How much would you say as the advertising agency has to sort of really work with the client and massage what they think they want to do and get it to where the agency like, ah, this is actually what you really want to do. Um, and I don't know, manage those expectations. I'm sure you have a lot of experience with your client work of like, you have the client's idea and then they throw a bunch of stuff and they're like, we think all this is great. And then... <laughs> you, the agency or the designer are like, oh, this, a lot of this is actually not great. 
and we need to revise this. We need to, now that we're hearing what you want to do, we need to get rid of this, maybe add these things in. What's that relationship look like? I mean, it, it is what you, it's a version of what you described. I mean, and that's where there, where our agency particularly thrives. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the strategy work that we do to, to build uh, the creative and then produce the work is built on, you know, we do stakeholder interviews, right? So we understand, you know, what the brief is. We understand what the RTBs are. We understand what the brand's values are. But then we go talk to all of the people that work there and not just the marketers, right? Mm -hmm. We go talk to the salespeople. We go talk to the operations people. We talk to everybody. The CEO. The CFO. Like, find out how, how, what does this actually mean to the other humans that work here? Mm. Um, And it's interesting. I'm I'm actually, I'm thinking about this as we're talking. Like, this could be uh, a podcast about AI in which we never talk about AI. (laughs) because we're just actually talking about how human this process is, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I want to make sure that, that, we, that we don't do that. I want to make sure that we talk about those things. But yeah, I mean, as you asked the question, I, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, this is just a very human process. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that human process is, hey, your brief is really good because it's telling me where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And then it's my job to tell you what we should keep from that. Not my job. I don't do that at the agency. But our, I'll just, our job at the agency is to... Is to to tell you where where it's good, where it might be missing something, where it might be misapplied, where you could be applying things that you're not thinking about where you can apply things. Because like you said, we're the experts on strategy, creative, and production, mm-hmm. not the experts on brand marketing, Yeah, right? And so it's that, it's a relationship between, between two humans or two sets of humans that are building uh, the work that's gonna be in market that's ultimately gonna drive revenue and sales. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the places if, if, if folks have listened to the series and had like a big pushback to be like, ah, you guys are just overreacting about stuff. Like it's not that big a deal. Um, I know one of the things I've heard in classes before is like, you know, creativity is just like putting together two things that haven't existed before. Like that's all creativity is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if an algorithm can scrub like all known data and grab two points that have up until now never gone together, then, then AI can totally be creative. Um, but I think that's a that's a difficult space to kind of be because um, I mean you know showing our cards here if you haven't picked up lately um, creativity is like a distinctly human activity um, like it, it cannot be replicated um, by some machine or some algorithm um, so in that respect like um, like how do you, I don't know how do you see like creativity within these spaces like have you seen any dips where you've uh, maybe have friends in other agencies or other places where like you've seen a dip in kind of like performance or creativity because there's been a reliance on tools in a way that haven't happened before. Yeah, I think so with the, with the ubiquity of all these tools that can make somebody who isn't a designer can give them the opportunity to design, Mm -hmm. you know, an asset. Like for me, I'm not, I'm not a designer, um, by, by any stretch. So for, for the podcast that I host, I need to make content, but I don't have, I don't generate revenue mm-hmm. yet. So I can't hire a designer to do all this design work. So I use Canva to make my quote cards, make my podcast episode covers, like make all these things. Right. So Canva is a great tool for somebody like me, who's not a designer mm-hmm. to be a designer and make some assets that work. What I do though, is I go in and I spend a lot of extra time to make sure that the template that I'm pulling from Canva I don't just change it to my brand colors and just add my pictures on top of it. I want to make sure that I'm in there tinkering in a way that makes it unique to my brand and, and my podcast brand. So it gives me the opportunity to, to 
design assets, even though I'm not a designer. What I do see though, is when you go on those templates on Canva, mm -hmm. you'll see a bunch of content that looks a lot like the content that you see on your Instagram feed with just brand colors changed. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. oh, it's just people are going in there and taking the template as it exists, adding a brand color, changing a brand color, adding, adding their brand photo or their brand video. And then you go onto your explore feed on, on Instagram. And obviously I follow a lot of podcasts for that reason, right? So that I can kind of understand. You just see a sea of the same, mm. just like the same stuff with different colors and different pictures. And I am not on this podcast to tell you that my assets are beautifully designed <laughs> or that they're, that they're really good. Uh, they're good enough for now. Um, and I take the extra time. I'm really glad that Canva exists for me to have uh, not a blank canvas or a blank one by one white square for me to work from, but something else to work from to like tinker with. But it takes me actually a little bit of extra time. So mm -hmm. that's why it's a good tool because I'm actually not spending less time. I'm spending more time, but it's giving me somebody who doesn't have that knowledge, experience and understanding of design. It's giving me somewhere to start. Mm -hmm. It's a question of what are you spending that time on? Right. You know, how you're allocating that time to be the most productive or produce the best outcome within the range of what you're able to do. Yeah. And it's like, and how do you use the tool? And it's like we talked about the other night, Gareth and I did, it's like, what do you, what do you value? Um, and what are you working towards? So like for me, I value making a great asset that is going to drive listenership to my podcast. And I want to spend the time to make sure that it's unique enough that it's not just in the, in this kind of sea of same. Mm -hmm. So that's enough for me right now. And so that's why, that's why it's a great tool for me to use. But I, but it, again, it's just a tool and that's the way that I use it. But I see other people using the tool in, in a way that's just the same as everybody else. And that's when I think the tool can be used in a way that isn't, um, isn't great because it just creates a bunch of the same. Mm -hmm. And that's not what you're trying to do. If you're trying to, if you're trying to get listeners to your podcast, you don't want to just fall into a sea of same. I know Canva's not AI, but I'm sure they use AI tools over there to build a lot of those templates. Well, a lot point. of, yeah, a lot of software, even if it's not AI, as we understand, like the large neural networks, you know, Adobe has been working on certain much more refined or smaller scale tools um, for image corrections and things like that right. to, to automate. You know, really, we're talking about automation and then AI is like automation on steroids. Yeah. Um, and a lot yeah, of Yeah, that's why they keep they make there's the distinction of generative AI. Yeah. Yeah. yeah generally. Yeah. And we haven't even touched, you know, I think at this point we've mostly talked about the text based AI. Has your industry seen any influence or effects on the image generation in artificial intelligence? How's that affecting the industry or the industries responding? Yeah, I just I, Adobe just uh, I think they just released a big update where you can like literally just uh, I saw it I don't know if you, you guys saw this example, but they're the example that they're running right now. I don't know if it's paid, if it's a paid ad that I saw for Adobe or if it was just somebody who had used it. But it's like there's a guy riding a bike down a, a, a cracked concrete kind of backcountry road. And it's like it was like cropped to one by one. It's like what the picture was. Mm -hmm. And then you just watch the tool and you, you circle the middle of the road where the guy is on the bike and you write double yellow line. And then it just. Adobe just made a double yellow line that looked like it was mm -hmm. integrated onto that, physically onto that street, and then extend the backgrounds and all that stuff, and it just looked great. Now, again, who knows how they actually did that right, because that's what the ad or, or the piece of content that I saw said that it did, so who knows how that actually works. But yeah, you're starting to see some of that. I mean, some of the really cool stuff that you're able to do with visual effects um, is a lot more, it's a lot less expensive mm -hmm. than having humans do it, right? And so I think there's elements of that 
that are starting to creep into the post-production aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that's pretty much the only application I've seen visually so far. It okay. is still, it feels like this conversation, right? I think you opened up the series with this, like, hey, nobody knew about this eight weeks ago or, you know, whatever yeah, it was, yeah. six months ago. And now all of a sudden it's, it's super ubiquitous as a conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's true. Um, and people are using it, but it's not, it hasn't flooded quite yet. You know, people are still tinkering with these tools and figuring out what they are and asking questions about yeah, it's sort of the gold rush right now. Yeah. Yeah. For, That's good um, way to put it. Yeah. For what, what will take primacy and typically the most trailblazer is not going to be the one that's normalized, you know? So, so, um, yeah, it's like the first one comes in and like makes the mistakes yeah. and like, and then, and then somebody, somebody else, capitalizes and Steve on Jobs it. comes along and launches iPhone. Right. Yeah. 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 Just so. using the gold rush, like first few people get in there and they're like, oh, this is really helpful and it's making us really productive and kind of gives us an industry competitive edge. Yeah. Let's not talk about this. <laughs> yeah. So that way we Let's maintain not, our little intrigue yeah. bit of edge. And then the rumor gets out and then the companies that are producing these products, you know, make it very widely known, hey, this is what you can do with the product. And then it just normalizes and everyone's using the, the product in the same way generally. And whatever levels of efficiency that have been gained become more global within the industry. And, and to be optimistic about it and to kind of steel man AI as a, as, a, as a tool is it is going to normalize that way. And it is going to become a tool that the best practitioners of it, the most efficient practitioners of it, maybe the most human practitioners of it are the ones that are going to do the best with it. Mm-hmm. At some point, it's just going to be a sea of same for a little while. And all these brands are going to be like, hey, man, you're charging me a lot of money, but I, I just saw what you did for us on another brand, which means all you did was type something into the you know, and have AI do it. Mm-hmm. So at, at some point, like there's going to be some, some pushback on, on that side of it, um, at least within, within our industry. Yeah. Ubiquity will, will create a boutique, um, you know, the same kind of thing. You'll, you know, those people that will, the ubiquity will run its course so strongly that people will, there will be people that will pay more for something that evidences the hand and yeah, it's kind of like, like coffee. Yeah, right? you get yeah, the ubiquity of the Starbucks yeah. every fifteen feet. Yeah, and so and of course Starbucks didn't start that way, right? Yeah, they yeah they were the they yeah. were the boutique among the ubiquity yep. of Folgers or whatever. That's right, right. And so yeah. then they become the ubiquity, and then they have the the boutique that that works in opposition to mm-hmm. that. The, the push and pull of something, which I think that that push and pull within kind of like a like an economic sort of space, um, and the reason why you might use a tool or not use a tool. So that push or pull that's there, I think, is one of the interesting things about AI because uh, everything is very, it can be severely flatlined. So think back to whenever it was six months ago when everybody was so uh, enamored with like putting their face into AI art generators and they were getting all these like, what looked like, I mean, let's be honest, it looked like like trash, like beach, like airbrushed t-shirts, right? Mm-hmm. But everybody's like, oh my gosh, look at these things. They all look the same. Like you saw one or two of them, you're like, oh, that's neat. And then you see more of them, you're like, oh, it's like, this is literally the same thing. This is the guy outside on the boardwalk doing the the art that all looks the same for tourists as they pass by. It's yeah, flatlined because people guy. have popped into an experience, right? It's not because the guy has something unique to offer. Um, so I think that's that's like an interesting thing is like with something that has just like straight line uh flat land equity everything is exactly the same that's kind of being spit out in a sense that the, the creative part of that that's lost is that like push and pull that act react that that surprise happens surprise can react against it it's not there because the algorithms are going to push towards efficiency and efficiency is problematic 
And efficiency has always been a hard thing within something like advertising because you have one side of, of the board table that's like, hey, we got to be efficient because we've got overhead and we've got these things and ROI has to happen and this, that, and the other. And, and clients are barking down our throat to make sure that we don't have to increase budget. And the other side is like, but we want to make something really good mm -hmm. because that actually impacts it. So that, that push and pull that's there between creative and business is always tough. And with AI, it's like, it, it seems that there is a propensity towards that not existing that everything is just kind of flatlined. And I think that that is one of those things that if you play it out through several permutations over time, then you get to a place where it's like, how boring is this? Well, another interesting thing to think about is it like how is our society positioned at this point to be content with the flatline? Mm -hmm. And I think with AI the ubiquity of what can be created and that's the, the like sea of sameness that you talked about, Carrie. Um, I don't know. I feel like there is a bit of a shift in our society right now where like people's values may say, well, as long as certain other boxes are ticked about what this brand is doing, you know, they advocate for certain values. Mm -hmm. I don't really care if it's creatively interesting. Or they might, they might yeah. say that to themselves, whether or not as actual consumers, they still authentically respond to the thing that is more human and more interesting. Um, but there's the question of like, will the base consumer's expectation for advertising value to be at the most human, the most interesting, is yeah. that going to shift because yeah. of how we're using these tools shift? Or are we just going to get more used to kind of boring sameness and, and highlight other elements of a brand or of a product and say, no, those are the most important things, you know. The answer is yes, look at our architecture. Yeah. And that's kind of what yeah. I'm thinking of. <laughs> the like there's, is a, yes. there's a ubiquity in a lot of things already. So is, is this just going to sort of be the wash into creative? Look at strip creative? malls. Look at, I was driving somewhere I haven't been before and it was like, there it is. There's Target, there's Burger mm -hmm. King, there's there's all all of these staple things designed in appearing quite quite the same way which is which is to signal a um it, oh gosh it's just too comprehensive of a system so thinking about individualism and so the problem is you know when you say like does an individual care about aesthetics or looks or not even if you say authentic um i don't even know if we can quantify that what does authentic mean I don't, I, I don't know that we can quantify that, but here's why, because it's a, it's a, um, it's an appeal back to a kind of a, a world, a world view axiom, like a starting point that is fixed, that determines what is and what isn't. And without that, the language becomes trivial to the point. So when we say efficiency or we talk like just to, just to be devil's advocate, when we talk not to throw shade at all, but just to throw it in there as like a bomb, um, we're already dehumanized because we're talking about people as efficient. Mm -hmm. So when we say this is human, we're already talking subhuman actually. But only if there is a category for what a human is. That's the rub. So what I'm saying is if you don't have, if that isn't a fixed reality, then what we talk about is on a slippery slope that we call progress. And um, uh, there's not an argument strong enough to negate what appears to be the inevitability. Because the argument can't be purely abstract, it has to actually be reality. It has to, it has to assert reality in such a way that someone goes, I can't do that. 
and we don't appear to be in that space. Like we appear to be running downhill very quickly. And mm-hmm. in, in, so in every sense, because like AI is moving into um, how lawyers are using it. So you think about how law is like, think about how the edges of everything are gonna be dulled to the, a, a kind of a, a globalized sameness. And so we're pushing for that in every possible sphere. So like the market can't bear, bear that and push against it. And the consumer is immersed. They can't, you know, like what, what lifts a, a, even, so think about it, even reducing a person to consumer is a dehumanized statement. Because already you're like, we got categories for what a human is. And we're negating all these other spaces that yeah, consumption is what they do. Yeah, in that yeah, yeah, particular yeah, yeah. Instance, So we've created vernacular. Yeah. We've created, sure. created like a lexicon, and it and it becomes an, a kind of relative epistemology for like how we know things in the relative sense. And so that's the problem. Like most businesses aren't looking down past the first or second quarter. Like they're not looking too far down the the corridor. You know, uh, it's very hard for a business to be visionary. It's e- it's probably easier for a visionary to get something going. But that's the visionary part. But once it's up and running, I think it's difficult for most people to see past what's necessary to sustain the thing, um, let alone interject um, uh, countercultural values or countercultural reality to what looks like a runaway situation. In other words, like most most folks can't do that because what would be the reason? You know, so that that's where like virtue signaling comes in and with companies and not, not to chase that down, but just yeah, to say yeah. it's like it's just easier to run that way. It's the easiest thing to do is run uh, harder in the direction things are already headed. And so that best that's the hipster thing. I was there first, yeah. you know, which, which is to, yeah, with the race to the bottom. So that's that's to, to circle back to saying it's like the gold rush. But um, I guess you could you could then make the argument if there is a true nature to humans that is fixed. Yeah. We are a type of thing. Yeah. Um, we respond to the world in specific ways because of our humanness. Then as much as we try to divorce ourselves from that or convince ourselves it's not true or modify our experience of the world, at the end of the day, we are basically human, which means there might be advertising experiences that appeal to something that is basic to us that will always be more effective to gather our attention, which is kind of what advertising is attention towards uh, purchase. And so, you know, you might be able to argue sort of going back to that, like boutique, like a nicely made cup of coffee will appeal to the humanness of us in a way that like a generically made cup of coffee won't. And you might have a lot of people that just get used to the generically made cup of coffee and they're fine with that. And you'll have people who are still at least in tune with that inherent humanness in themselves such that they will prefer something that's more sophisticated or more personally made. And so it'll as a business, you'll just be navigating like, where do you want to land on that? Um, what money can you make appealing to which person? But there is an idea that like, from what we've talked about a lot, like potentially there is a basic humanness, the, the ontological humanness that would respond to a better advertising campaign as opposed to a worse or, you know, maybe a, a more human centric versus dehuman centric. The question is, when we have AIs doing all of our shopping for us, what does advertising look like when we need to advertise to the AI that has its eyes on the market that's shopping for the individual because the individual is not shopping for themselves? Well, that's anymore. what I'm saying. So if, if you said humans can run, but you haven't been running, well, you can run, but you can't run. So because you're anemic to the proposition, like you actually, 
it's going to take a lot of work to get back to what would maybe be an assumed given about a human. That's the Wally thing, right? Mm -hmm. So like the uh, humans can walk and run and so could the characters in Wally, but they had reclined so far that the obtaining of what was already a normative state for them is, is pretty defeating, right? Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is there's a, uh, a narrowing or a, a divide. How do you say that? There is a besetting to uh, what we're talking about that is so totalizing that the might that you speak of is uh, lessened exponentially. And so um, because it's mitigated by so many iter iterations, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like there's so many, like I was out at uh, this farm this last weekend and it's like, we're so removed from like an agrarian understanding of the world that um, helps to push against some of this is the push pull conversation in a kind of macro way that um, I, th I, I mean, I think it, I think it has to go um, well, uh, you know, I, I, I just don't see how it's going to go well in terms of the humanness part because there's too many systems put in place to maintain it at so many levels. Mm -hmm. And we've already wallied ourselves away from any kind of um, virtue or resiliency uh, of, of any kind of substantial kind. I mean, like generally mm -hmm. speaking, like um, I, I think the question you might be, I don't want to speak for you, but I think the question you might be driving at is not what is the value, but where is the value in making actually back to what we were talking about before we started recording my experience as a military veteran transitioning out and into an industry that was unavailable to me, at least initially, mm -hmm. well, where is the value in some things being easier and more efficient for humans to be human? I would say, where's the purpose? Sure. Say more. Well, so, so purpose as opposed to value. Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I would say, where's the purpose? So to what end? Right. Right. So, so, you know, purpose drives decision-making. I got to say no to this and yes to this based on what wisdom. So what is the wisest way forward in light of what, well, what's the purpose? And so, and then, and then what's most valuable to said purpose. Yeah. So, you know, so, um, right. So bringing it back to the AI tools, mm -hmm. right? Like what, what is the purpose Maybe you can help me understand because I, I can't get kind of value out of out of my head. Maybe that's just you fine. might say yeah, that yeah. value is in relation to achieving purpose. So something is going to be valuable to achieving a designated purpose or less valuable to achieving a purpose. But the purpose precedes whether or not we purpose precedes. So if you're looking at it, it's like I'm so so. Then to macro it really fast is to say what's the purpose of AI? Well, what is transhumanism? Well, the purpose is to escape our fundamental problem. That's what it is is it suppress it in as many ways as possible. And so then that's the tent, right? And so now we're in the tent, but not everybody knows that tent in any kind of tangible way. Yeah. And so now you're situated, like what's the purpose of, you know, if you start to ask purpose questions, then you look at response and then you look at action and you're yeah. like, okay, why well, act this way? Because the purpose that, that, of my job is to pay for the bills. Sure. You know? mm -hmm. That might be, might be a false premise though. I'd be, I'm, I'm just as terrified of, of transhumanism as, as you are, but, uh, just like uh, history and progress isn't actually linear as people think oh, yeah. it is, um, that isn't necessarily the way that this will go. 
it is definitely a way that it could go. And that is the kind of worst case scenario. But when you listen to Sam Altman talk about it, right, he talks about like that is the worst case scenario and we should absolutely have that, not just in the back of our minds, but it should always be there for us to make sure that we are not going there. But AI as a tool, we need to understand. So maybe the answer to the question I was asking is where is the value? The value is found in the purpose. What is your purpose for using the tool? Mm-hmm. And is the, is the tool to help you uh, be more human in your activities? And then where do you draw that line, right? So just like in everyday life, Mm -hmm. what should be easier? Yeah, a washing machine should exist so that I don't have to hand scrub my clothes and hang dry them, right? Mm -hmm. That allows me to be more human in myself, with myself, in my home, with my family, whatever, right? That's just Mm -hmm. a silly example. Vacuum cleaner, same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Dishwasher, all these things. But where do we draw that line? Where do those tools make us less human? Mm-hmm. Right. And so in thinking in terms of, of AI and advertising and communicating back to a community of humans who are purchasing a product, who are consuming but are not consumers, how do we use this tool or any tool to stay true to our shared humanity in that way? So mm-hmm. I am a human working with other humans to drive these humans to purchase a product that will drive revenue for my paying client. Mm-hmm. Right. I think is that is that kind of like distilled down? Is that the the overall question we're asking about this tool and as it applies to different industries? And I guess maybe is it possible for AI to help us be more human? Well, so I mean, I think that's a very positive take on it, which I think there's a place for that, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm not, and I'm not for even, what it's worth. I was just trying that on for size. Yeah, 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 onto the totally. For totally. Yeah. Because one thing I thought about last night and then driving over here this morning was like, Oh man, I'm not sure I'm equipped to have this conversation. I don't even know what I believe about this thing. <laughs> no, yet. no, I you think we're I think we're sorting it out. That's yeah. why I said I'm yeah. playing. And I, I do I do think that like the ten thousand foot view, and then like the hey, how does this impact this particular process of my job? I think both of those are levels of the conversation that we want to have because yeah. like I think there's a lot of interesting questions on what you're talking about is like the curiosity of like where does this fit in with discrete processes as you're going through creating an advertising campaign where you can interject it to be more efficient in the use of your resources. So the things that you're really good at doing that as a human, you can spend more time doing that. You know, things like little video editing things where it's like, I need to tweak this. Yeah, like I, I've, my brother does video editing, so he's way deep into like all the deep technical stuff for um, After Effects and... Mm-hmm. Um, all those programs and he'll spend just hours and hours and hours busting his tail. And, um, I I always think of that parks and rec scene where Ben is like been laid off and he's making this little claymation thing. And he's like, I've been spending like two weeks on this look and he hits play and it like, it's like two and a half seconds. (laughs) And then like he has an existential crisis. And sometimes I see my brother, uh, make some stuff and without a big vision, it can be really easy to be like, Oh man, like it's a lot of effort put in for like, on the surface, what seems like not a lot of reward. Right. If there was a way to reduce some of those timeframes to get the same outcome, uh, so that the, the creative person can then be more productive in doing the things that the creative person can do. I mean, I think that's and like I guess a that's good what tool. I'm, what I'm just making in there in the framework is, yeah, I think you have to move between the particular and the, the universal or the big and the small is, um, I just don't think human. So, so we have a given about the industrialization of, of the world, which yeah. is we're always going to use the freed up time, which we don't. 
right. actually. So what we found is the nature of what we are is more sort of broken and complicated. So we tend to misuse mm-hmm. time, if you will, or we don't, it's, we're not virtuous. So we don't, we don't really like, I mean, think about generations of boredom, you know, just the, the mere concept of boredom is a critique on this idea of free time. The fact that people are like, I get bored and I'm anxious and I need to fill my time. So, so what I'm trying to say is there's something that uh, it hasn't done for us, but we're not done trying to get it to trying to get it to do for us which is which is the transhumanist desire there's a point where it's like well i guess it's my body that's failing so maybe i can just you know live in this world and the only reason why i say that is because there is i mean i because i watched academia normalize marxism from starting from 20 years ago like yep. and i said it was coming in, in you know and so i see the same thing happening now so i know it's coming there's no question because people are talking about uh, combinations of witchcraft and transhumanism and their professors teaching it. It's just a matter of time. So my, so take that as like a destination desire, yep. a yep. purpose, right? If you are, if you're in a train, train's great. You're, you got some efficiencies for how you're getting coal into the train. The train is moving along, right? And you're, you're seeing down track and it's like, um, there's a problem at the end of the track. It's not a problem with the locomotion or the tools you're using to get it to go, but it's where it's taking and what's ahead. The question is, what's our responsibility? Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's my question. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, which, which is why just to, and I'll, which is why I said, I don't think most businesses can look down and then decide we're going to have to make a hard stop because of the ubiquity of it. It makes it too hard. Everyone is going to want to fall fall downstream if you will or you know like that that was my point about saying that is like we don't look far enough ahead and if we do most of most folks it's it's what would be the virtue what would be the reality anchor that would cause someone to turn and stop for a moment and there's people talking about it i'm generalizing yeah yeah. there's no question this is a conversation i know elon musk has talked about it extensively there's like coalitions that are probably emerging talking about this um but then there is the power brokers and big tech and, and, and so it's, it's not something small guys can do, uh, you know, in a, to a certain extent, but, but even corporations are being subsumed into, uh, credit score systems, et cetera, that are going to put pressures on people to operate certain ways to cut costs. Like you can see all of these pieces sort of, um, uh, actually coming together quite well <laughs> to accomplish the purpose, yeah. if you will. So yeah. that, that's where I'll leave it. I won't, belabor the point um but just to say that that's the loomingness so when i think about these conversations um that's what looms over talking about the specific instances and i and i can't untether those i can't and you shouldn't yeah. and I, I, yeah. i'm not saying you yeah and i don't think I, you are we're not I, debating by no no mm-hmm. definitely not yeah, debating because yeah. i agree that that is that it that is the worst case scenario and and, mm-hmm. and absolutely that that fight so to speak i guess mm-hmm. is coming i think part, part of the our culture has gotten to a place let me see if i can put all these thoughts together in a, in a way that makes sense so i think one of the one of the high level worst things that that marxism has done to our culture is it has made people think made humans think mm-hmm that the best way to the specific is through the universal Mm -hmm. and it's actually the other way around Mm -hmm. the best way to the universal is through the specific Mm -hmm. 
So if you look at um, content, to keep it fairly agnostic, if you look mm -hmm. at content for a community and their values, all that content is terribly boring and uninteresting, uncreative, because it's universal. It's X people's rights. Mm -hmm. It's not this human being's story. Yeah, it lacks all the specifics. The, yeah. Right. And yep. so the best way to get to the universal, if that's your if that's your interest, is actually through the specific. But people tend to think the other way around. Mm -hmm. Anchored to advertising, maybe a brand or a company that wants to sell a lot of, of product might say like, well, our consumer is, and then they have some blanket statement. Mm. Whereas we come in and say, well, actually, people consume. Mm -hmm. They're not consumers. That's something that they do. It's not a noun. It's a verb. And the best way to advertise to those people is through their specific experiences, values, communities, meet them where they are, mm -hmm. not where you think they should be. So just to sort of put flesh on that, it's like I'm a outdoor company, I've got a kayak I'm trying to sell and I could say, well, my, my consumer that I'm trying to reach is your average person who likes to be outside. So let's produce a bunch of generic content, just kind of spitballing anyone who likes to be in the sun and the trees versus a specific brand campaign that says, hey, let's tell the story of Bob and Mary who really love kayaking in this specific place on this network of rivers and this is what their life looks like and this is how they got into it and we're going to tell a story and then other humans are going to have a personal experience with that story. Yeah, because it activates their individuality and, and their imagination. And their personalness. That's why... That's why uh, biographies that are real tend to resonate better than like fake story. Like, yeah. you know, if you look, that's where it's like, it could be the most seemingly mundane story and we'll watch it because it's the actual person. Uh, it's based on a true story, like has true, a weird true, yeah. power to it. Yeah. Which is, so now we're getting somewhere. This is like what I'm driving at. So that demands in order to, in order to like replicate that requires a far higher demand on um, makerliness and imaginativity than what industrialized society has permitted actually, which means, and this is, which means quality has been thrown out for efficiency and quantity in, in over 150 years. So we are so far downstream that we, we're so secularized. We can't even, we don't even know that we are. That's yeah. how secular secularized we are, and so we're seeing like we're 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 looking at horizons and going ah, to to, which is why I said to you there's a diminishing might in people mm -hmm. to respond to exactly what you were arguing earlier. So it's like in in that is to say, uh, what's our responsibility to recognize that? And that's why I point to like this agrarian communities to say that like. They're, they're, they're creating particularized solutions that have universalizing impact yep. that could do all kinds of things like restore the land, um, but, it, but it eliminates big corporations. It pushes against big tech. It literally dismantles that it, and it puts responsibility in the hands of particularized people. Mm -hmm. So you can see um, real, so like real solutions to real problems, but we're so beholden that it's difficult to imagine it happening. You know what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we can and, and should be upset with the postmodernists for what, what they've done. Yeah. 
Well, no, really the modernist. That's what I was driving. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. There, yeah. There, it was a response to modernism. Yeah, because postmodern really is modernism with a tantrum. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. they're upset at what the modernist put yeah. in place based yeah, yeah, on yeah. exactly what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. And I get that. That's what, that's, that allow, mm-hmm. what actually allows me to have empathy for, for people who have that worldview that, that is dangerous and, and, and mm-hmm. um, destructive. I'm like, oh, I get it. It's a, it is a spiritual response to, to a very secularized way of, mm-hmm. of saming everyone. Yep. Right. And, and it's, it's a misplaced kind of spirituality or, or emotion. Um, definitely a misplaced, uh, relational thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that, so I get it. It's frustrating, but it, it's a response to something that was in some ways worse because it's the foundation that was, yeah, that this that's was right. built on something that you were saying, Gareth, got me thinking. So you, you were asking, um, uh, a question earlier and it made me think, so what's interesting about AI kind of coming into fruition right now. So at the agency that I work at now, we advertise to different segments. So to forgive me for dehumanizing people here. That's but okay. I do it too. We, um, <laughs> we advertise to millennials. Mm-hmm. Me, I think most of us, are you, uh, I'm, you're old, an I'm old bro. I'm you're 47. An you're a millennial. No, I'm a millennial. You're a millennial. You're, you're a millennial Gareth. I am. You're an adopted, uh, Xer. I mean, I'm like, I'm like one of the first, yeah. I mean, I was there before it was cool. Yeah. So, you know, there it is. So that well, you, just confirmed <laughs> you just confirmed you're a millennial. <laughs> I'm barely a millennial. Yeah. I which like is funny. You're a turd, you're a turd millennial. Which is funny. Cause like, I mean, Cody, I mean, like I could, I mean, I'm sorry to say I, I could biologically be your father. So it's kind of weird that we're in the same Generation. I actually biologically yeah. am his father. An hour later. Just kidding. Sorry. Yeah. It's turned into that TV show where you're a paternity test. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to do a paternity test. We're on Maury. <laughs> yeah, we're on Maury. <laughs> and we're going to find out the obvious that Cody's not my son. <laughs> Man. <laughs> yeah. yeah I love so that. dumb. Sorry. Has anyone ever gone Speaking of postmodernism. Yeah. yeah. Did yes. anyone ever go through that show when the test came out negative, or was it always positive? No, they, no, they came out negative. Oh, okay. There's YouTube videos. So out there. Speaking, yes. negative. ironically, <laughs> though, Jerry, or, sorry, Jerry Springer, Jerry Springer as well. Right, Maury, yeah. real fast, hold your thought. Maury used to be very diverse, yeah. a real talk show. Yeah. Yes. And then they caught wind of what was driving uh, interest, and it was the maternity tests, which were highly infrequent. It used to be there was like a sweet spot where talk shows were really interesting. They were yeah. podcasts before podcasts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People came on, and you're like, "That's really fascinating. That person lives, and that's their experience. Mm-hmm. Like, whoa, or I connect with that. Like, I can't believe they're saying that. And but then there was like the ratings phenomena. It's like, whoa, hey, wait a minute, the efficiency. Uh, yeah, let's just let dude. People love. And boom, now where's more? So anyhow, well, yeah, I mean, we could, we could go down that rabbit hole because there's a, it's a very human question yeah. there. Right. And I think that's why that's people true. gravitate towards that. Where, yeah. where, where do I come from? Who's yes. responsible for me? Right? That's right. Origins. Um, but so the, so we, we advertise to, to millennials and Gen Z, um, kind of depending on, on which brand, which product and, and, and some Gen Xers too, and some of our B2B work, but thanks. Like, Millennials and um, <laughs> millennials and, and Gen Z, and then there's also this weird kind of, you know, speaking of where these where these generations kind of start and end, right? There's this we coined this term Gen Zennial, right? So it's like somebody that's in between, maybe a millennial who wants to be a little bit more Gen so Z. So what's what's like the general starting point for Z? Oh gosh, you're a zombie. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. no, 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 not <laughs> qualitatively, but Empty like body, birth yeah. birth date. Because uh, millennials like through '96. I think 95, 96. Yeah. Okay. So I'm 94. Uh, you're 94. Yeah. yeah. My sister's 97. I think she's, I think she's like kind of right at the beginning. Does she remember life without high speed internet? 
or cell phones? No. Okay, I do. Yeah, I think no. I, I think that's kind of the demarcation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. like it comes at a certain year, but it really is like the the like the personal technocracy. <laughs> Yeah, uh, right. aspect. That's yeah. kind of how I measure it. It's like, do you remember like like dial-up internet and when when your phone was the thing that was on the wall? Yeah. yeah. Do you know what compact presario is? Do those two words mean <laughs> something to you? If they do, then you're a millennial. Have you seen a card catalog? <laughs> if you don't, then you're Gen Z. Um, what's, so there's a couple interesting things that, that we've found. Um, and see if we can keep this on track here because there's a, there's, there's a, a, bun, a, a few different through lines. So Gen Z actually thinks they want i'm also going to try not to be condescending and, and it's be, okay you can be condescending sometimes it's hard yeah it's difficult you're, you're doing a great job man we're we're excited you're here <laughs> thanks <laughs> um gen z says they want authenticity they want truth mm -hmm. they want to be spoken to in a way and advertised to in a way that is authentic to who mm -hmm. they are which is confusing because they don't know who they are right as yeah Kids don't. Like, yeah. my, my daughter th thought she was a, a frog this morning and, and a cat last night and a dog yesterday afternoon. Mm -hmm. Gareth knows because he's always at the house and she's making all the different sounds. <laughs> and instead of saying like, oh, you are, we say that's fun and like we keep it moving. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she will choose one of those identities one day. But, um, <laughs> and they will be available to her. <laughs> oh, gosh. No rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, so... So it, it, it is interesting because they, that's what they want. They want, they want truth. They want lowercase t truth and they want multiple, but mm -hmm. they want that authenticity. They want something that is, that feels true to them, right? They don't want to be spoken down to. They don't want to be advertised to. And how this relates to kind of the technology and the tools is people see the content that's geared towards Gen Z and they're like, oh, it's all cell phone footage. And it's just shot on a cell phone, which again, mm -hmm. another uh, budget saving technique, yeah. right? Like we can tell these brands that it costs a hundred thousand dollars, but I'm just actually doing it for a couple thousand bucks with an iPhone mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, and a quick pass through Adobe. But it yeah. has, has the benefit of lining up with a framing device that Gen Z uses to experience their world. But that's actually not, it's not just cell phone footage. They love vintage. They love Polaroid. They love. Um, <laughs> they love Polaroid. <laughs> yeah, they love Polaroid. They love VHS. They love film VHS, stock. They love like yes. all those things. So it's actually a blending. They don't love the it. They have they nostalgia for a life they didn't live. Correct. Yeah. Right. Mm. And so when you get to these these new tools, it actually makes me try to think a few decades ahead yeah. of like what is this actually going to be like? Like, and it's not just from decade to decade. It's not like when you get to oh one of whatever, or mm -hmm, one mm -hmm. of whatever the next decade mm -hmm. is, like all of a sudden it changes. It's like, well, the 90s didn't start in 1991. They actually kind of started in 1988, yep. you know? And, yep. but there was still some kind of 70s. That's the bleed in, yeah. Right, and so, right. so when you think about these tools and you think about how to use them and you think about shareholders and, and board members and, and, and CFOs and all of that, you think of like, they're responding to something too quickly like oh this generation wants it this way so therefore it should cost this much there's how much we can save here's how you can use these tools here use them mm -hmm. and it's like well no actually we need to tinker we need to experiment we need to be that's humans. the quarterly thinking that's what i mean right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that's exactly it yeah and so that's where i'm i wouldn't say that i'm optimistic or pessimistic about ai but i'm interested because i want to figure out like i have not for what's worth i haven't actually used any of them yet i i i haven't typed anything into chat gpt I haven't used any of it myself, but I'm I'm not opposed to tinkering with it 
or other people that that I'm working with. Or that well, gen- general generative AI, to put it a different way, is like the little clippy dude back in the day on, yeah. you know, we're it's just using autocorrect. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So I mean, so yeah, so that's the 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 larger concern is the general AI. You right. know, that's that's the 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 uh, normal normalizing. Uh, but the normalizing context through through generative AI creates a better context for general AI. Yeah, um, but, but it's neither. I mean, back to what it means to be a human and be able to create. Like you said, Gareth. I mean, AI is neither really intelligent or creative. It's just high speed data collection. Yeah, it's definitely You're talking definitions. Right? Yeah, I think I think the the place where I where I sit on that is um, it's much less about where AI takes us in some ways, and the question, at least at this end of the discussion, is what things are we vacating? And I think this is to Ryan's point. What things are we saying, oh, I don't need to deal with that? Yeah. And how does that then uh, compoundingly impact our And because humanity? we're not reflecting the unintended consequences that are, uh, they're, they're exponential. And like I said, when something is thrown out, it doesn't come back. It, it may be there. Here's what I mean. It doesn't come back in the manner with which it exists in the majority sense that it exists. Yeah. It we may assume come yeah. it was good. Yeah, we assume it was good, which is the live progress. Well, mm-hmm. we've talked about it before, yeah. but like, I mean, so with records, I've got nieces and nephews that are like, ah, oh, records are awesome. And it's like, cool, are you buying like vinyl from like the 70s? Or are you like going to Target and buying MP3s on a plastic disc yeah. that you put on a record player? Right. Because there, there's a human quality to vinyl from the 70s that is not apparent in the vinyl that's produced this year. And that has a lot and to do. And that technology was new right. at one point. Right? And so you have like all that's these the, things where it's that's like. That's the problem. So it's like it, it's, it's, uh, everything kind of becomes this like, you know, it's leftovers. Where it's like the meal was really good. The leftovers uh, are less good. And see, so this gets back to I disagree about that. I'm a leftovers guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this gets, but this but. gets back to purpose though. So see, when you're like, well, yeah. that was new technology. That's my point about yeah. purpose and what is downstream. Because if you don't have a sense of, so that's why if you make three points, what is a human? What is our purpose? What is downstream? Yeah. And you, uh, as you know, you evaluate. And um, that is, a, that is, uh, or the human activity. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm not saying technology was, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? that technology just always would exist. But mm-hmm. what's that word? Why am I totally uh, like, like necessary? Inevitable. Inevitable, yeah. yeah. Thanos, right? I am inevitable. <laughs> I'm not saying technology was inevitable, but it is human to use tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah, is yeah, human yeah. Absolutely. to use right. technology. Absolutely. So I actually think because because there is a because the postmodernists have gotten have have tried to um dispense with the binary. They've actually gotten all of us to think in two binary of fashions in some ways, right? So thinking in two binary of a fashion of like, you know, new is good. Well, no, new isn't always good. So therefore new is bad. No, just new isn't always good. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means yeah. that it's not always every, good. Every what arts- is your purpose? What do you value? That's right. And what's downstream of it? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah. So this is actually a really human activity mm-hmm. to wrestle with how do we use new tools? That's right. How do we use this new tool that, to your point, could put us on a path to transhumanism, which which is the end of humanity? Well, I, yeah. So uh, I just think that we're already. Stakes are higher. I think that we're already there. And to your point, the for you know going to year seventeen, every semester I ask students, "Is there good or bad art?" No, there's not. 
And then I make statements. Hey, I just described that's red. Well, is that good? Ah, why do you default to is that good? <laughs> to your point. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I would say, you know, in, in, uh, in a little bit of pushback, I would say that I disagree in the sense of, I think technology is inevitable as a human thing mm-hmm. because I view technology as a space. It is, it is the way in which we interact with things that are not of ourself. Mm-hmm. So you look at, so if, if we look at just like, you know, big tech currently, those sort of things, uh, is that inevitable? You know, who knows? But uh, the idea of technology is a thing. So like, you know, pencils, paper, writing systems, like all technologies, right? So in that space, technology is inevitable because we are humans that exert our will. Um, and so I think in that space, if we put it into a context of technology is an inevitable human activity that is part and parcel of who we are, then then the question can become, we can get to the place of, is this tool one that should exist at all? Or mm-hmm. is this a tool that should be thrown on the fire? Yeah, it, you can you can start to talk in you know is it is it necessary? So like that that's the um, and what's driving? So right, so you have purpose. That's our but but also then what what drives? What are human desires? So a lot a lot of human desires are are um, bound up in escapism, but from what is the question? And so we've constructed societies out of fear and escapism, and then we create problems that we solve always moving along the lines of, of what I would call a lie, which is progress. So I don't, yeah. I don't believe we're progressing. So, so instead of we make a smart car because we don't want to look at phones, you know, like we got these mm-hmm. convergence they're, they're quarried out of different rock quarries, but they ultimately make the cathedral, if you will, they come yeah. together and the, their architect are designed to integrate. Um, and yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, when, when, when ethics was divorced from science, yes, that's mm-hmm. when it happened. Yep. Mor- morality. Well, I think it happened when God was removed from the conversation, but sure. that's Camus, that all of life is absurd, so now you're free to authenticate through your self-action. Right. Self-actualization. Self-actualization, scientism, modernity, modernism, these competing states that are, are uh, buddies together in the yeah. sense that they all have agreed to the same philosophical rupture. And so then, and so then if you, if you, and that's, we're talking like, that's not that long ago, actually. So you're talking about a rise and fall very quickly in the, um, and, and I Which is the danger, I think of what you're talking about. Yes. Things, because things happened so quickly, so recently, that means Mm -hmm. they're going to happen more quickly, more recently. Yeah. Cause that's the only way it's going. That's the expediency. We're over here here fighting over, you know, relativism, like what's relative versus what's objective. That's right. It's actually the wrong discussion relative to what? That's exactly right. Some things are relative, like, but it's what is it relative to? Yeah, all things are relative at at some point, but to what? What's so, the point? Yeah, you. So, in other words, to put it a different way, to to truly technical, you can't have uh, subjectivity without objectivity. Correct. So, so you therefore you can't have relativity without objectivity. Right. The postmodern lie is to assume the in, in, uh, to assume a pr- plurality of centers mm-hmm. that are emergent. And and as an axiom, that beco- everything becomes relative to, yeah. uh, which yeah. is a, a, an ideological proposition and not a reality. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, is, I would even argue that they. It's not a plurality of centers. It's just a. I think it's just a plurality. Well, yeah. So, but so <laughs> yeah, the, emer- a yeah, yeah. you're applying that there's centers to it because you understand. Well, no, no. I mean, emergent emergent philosophy, uh, postmodern philosophy talked about emergent centers, oh, and then it, it degraded to plurality. Got it. Yeah. So, so at at the 
historical origin. It was a conversation around plurality of centers. Yeah. So, which was a way of but, lifting more centers. boats. Yes, it was a way of lifting more boats. Yeah. And then in not assuming less responsibility for more people. And But we don't, the point being is we don't do that. We don't like, like, uh, I mean, we've, we've never left the secular, modern, secular modernist project. We're just, you know, we're, <laughs> we're still heading with it. Yeah. We're trying to cope with it. We're yeah, trying to hanging on to the unraveled. Yeah. 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 And a lot of people are just seen as chattel. They're not seen as valuable. Uh, you know, when you're talking about human relationships, so of course I agree with that. And of course I think that there's things that might be humanizing, but if we don't let some of the big, the, the macro implications bleed into the practices and the ethics, cause it's like, yeah, in this conversation, ethics is just hanging there going, Hey, <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey guys, I'm still here. Well, I'm still here. Well, like you want to talk? Also, by the way, morality is hanging out going, yeah, I see. I see what you're saying. We're still waiting to get in the double Dutch game and take yeah. our jumps. Yeah. If you could talk to ethics so that you could eventually talk to me, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and to bring it back to advertising, it's a good, it's a good uh, heuristic for it because it's what's the, so if you're going to use a tool, what's the purpose for using mm-hmm. the tool? The purpose is to get a human to consume the product or to purchase the product. Yeah. Right. Um, and so in order to understand what the purpose is, you need to know what you value and what the other human values. And then therefore that should dictate mm-hmm. how you use what tools. Mm-hmm. I think we cut you off. I think you were going to say something. Oh no, I'm not sure. I quite what it was. Spot no, um, I just know like, you know, the four of us here, I know we could talk about this all day. Yeah, we have no problem with it. Uh, and turn this <laughs> into an eight hour podcast, yeah. you know? Um, but you know, I just wanted to, uh, kind of get us to uh, a point where we can kick it to the next week. Um, we can have Carrie back on. I mean, shoot, have you on as much as you want, Carrie? You want to come back on, Carrie? I don't feel like we finished this conversation. I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I'll talk. I talk to you guys all the time, anyway. So yeah, <laughs> well I don't know. Play. I just don't think we fit. So even if we, I don't no, think, I think we finished this conversation actually, because I, I, I'm just getting to the place where I can, um, interact. Like, like I feel like I feel like a lot of this felt like setting some mm. terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, to me, it would be inter- it's like it would be interesting to come back and and like try to pick up yeah, uh, because I think we actually have somewhere we can get to let's do it out of this conversation because it's helpful to have you in your very anchored experience with a very um, with a level of fidelity to your professionalism that allows you to stay focused on that that I think um, in, in terms of your understanding of how, how how you actually do what you do okay um, that I think is extremely helpful in um, anchoring this conversation and none of us really disagree at the end no. so it's more of a, a healthy discourse to um, try to understand. Yeah, try to understand yeah. because I, I, it's not trivial. I don't want to just complain. I, I, I want to find uh, ways of. Uh, uh, so I think about stewardship. I think about human desire. I think about how desire out of lack has created perceptual needs that are not necessarily needs. Going back to the agrarian thing. So I, I, I have questions about. I'm questioning modernity right now and secularism completely. Like it's all completely under question for me in a way it's never been before. So I'm processing things out right now. And so I say that to say, uh, if you were to try to walk out of what I would call the wreckage, um, I think that that's where some of what you're talking about is helpful. Um, you know, like I think, I think there's some kind of conversation that we haven't had yet that I was, I'm perceiving like it's cool. moving somewhere yeah. and like, we just haven't got there. How yet. would you be an advertising agency that is trying to not See, that's a crazy question, but it's worth, yeah, it's worth and asking. Like, with integrity, like move forward into the world that's emerging 
in a way that's actually beneficial to people yeah, and yeah, yeah. kind of response to all the topics. I think well, that is really interesting. Yeah, I think it's super And we definitely yeah. have not gotten no, not even close. Well, that's not perfect. That uh, that gets to a great stopping point for this week and gives us a great question to kick off on uh, for our next episode. So we love you all. Thank you so much for everything. Uh, you're a great audience. We'll catch you later. Peace. Later. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottom.